Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. It reads, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So here in chapter 5 of First Peter, we wrap up really his first part of the words that he'll be able to give to us. We'll continue tomorrow into Second Peter and see more of what he is looking to teach the people of God. Today for our nugget of truth, we're going to focus on a word that we see him repeat several times here in this passage, and that is humility. And we're going to talk about the way in which humility or being humble helps us to place ourselves into a mindset for which God is able to use us, whatever our circumstances are. And I believe that that's the reason that Peter is writing, especially to these believers who are suffering. And so here, starting really in verse 5, he displays the fact that they're to be humble towards one another and humble towards the fact that they're submitting themselves to the elders of the church. And so in doing so, they're placing themselves first under the authority of the people that God has put in place in their life, and then they're placing themselves ultimately under the authority of God. In doing so, they display the fact that their abilities and their talents and their thoughts and their lives are all to be under the authority of those people who are over them, first being the elders of the church, and then being God. And so by putting themselves under this authority, they're really setting aside their own desires, their own wishes, their own wants, their own preferences, and instead displaying those of God. When they do that, they're preparing themselves for whatever God's plan is. And so being humble at its root has the centered thought that one's life is not more important than those around them but instead that one's place is rightly before God and understanding the greatness of God, who God is, his character, his attributes, allows them to see in a proper way their standing before God and before others. Humility allows the individual to see themselves in a right standing, understanding that God's greatness is going to be far beyond anything that they can ever do. And so they consider themselves in a relationship with that understanding. 
that if God is the greatest, that God is sovereign, he has all of the authority over all of his creatures and all of his creation, then they should act and live in accordance with that thought. They should respect the authorities that God has placed in their life, and they should then live in such a way that displays to others their understanding of where they are in God's created beings. And that's not to say that they're not important, that they're not valued, that they don't have the image of God, but understanding that the greatness of God far surpasses any of those things that they might be able to stick a feather in their cap for or to say that they're proud about. And when you place yourself in that opportunity to be humble before God, you understand that God can exalt you. We see that in verse 6. He can raise you up out of that situation and bless you with any of the opportunities that he has. But in doing so, he's not building you up for your sake, but is building you up to display himself in your life. And so we're called to be able to cast our anxieties, our cares, all of our lives upon him, understanding that he is watching over us, understanding that by putting ourselves under him, we're taking his authority, but also his protection, his provision, and his desires in our life. And that allows us to put ourselves in the best possible place to experience whatever it is that God brings into our life. And so when we look at verses 8 and 9, it talks about several different things that could come into our life that could be very difficult for us to overcome. But if we've placed ourselves under the authority of God, we're looking for his protection and his provision, we are better able to defend ourselves against the world's systems and against the lies of the devil because we've placed ourselves in the opportunity to have the heavenly mindset and to have a godly perspective with the situations that we experience. Verse 10 really sums it up the most by saying that after you have suffered a little while, those two words right there in the English for us, a little while, after you briefly suffered, you will experience the restoration of God, whether that be here on earth or eternal glories. So to put it into perspective, you see that it's a small brief time that we experience the suffering, the pain, and the effects of sin here on earth compared to the glories that await us in heaven. That perspective allows us to place ourselves in these situations where we know that God is in control and he is working his plan out for us, even if it is temporarily inconvenient or uncomfortable or even painful. We see that by being humble and rooting ourselves in that, by placing ourselves under the authority and the protection of God, we're able to trust in him and we're able to see how he's able to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us each day of our lives. So may that be the anchor that we have for our faith today as we seek to live out our lives with humility as we seek to put God on display in our lives for the watching world to see the truth of the gospel that would penetrate their hearts and impact their lives. As far as a question from today, I'm really going to do a two-part question, but I'll sum it up in one question. What is happening with the closing remarks of 1 Peter here? By that, I mean there's two big things that jump off the page for us. Sylvanus's opportunity to be a part of what's going on, as well as what is this thing going on with Babylon? So as we look at the ending of this epistle, I think it's important for us to be able to understand those two thoughts because of the way in which they help us to see how Peter is working through this situation. First off, let's talk a little bit about Sylvanus. 
As we look at Sylvanus and what he's bringing to the table here, I think it's important that we understand that some people have really questioned whether Peter could have written this book. They say, hey, Peter was this fisherman. He would have been uneducated. He would not have been able to really add too much to what's going on in the scriptures because he's not really a smart guy. He was a day laborer working a specific task. He was probably illiterate. So how can he write this? And that's honestly a legitimate question. How could we expect a uneducated person to work through and write such an encouraging letter to us? It's important that we understand a couple of things here about Sylvanus, as he's mentioned here in verse 12. First off, this Sylvanus is the Silas who was Paul's companion. This is the individual we see throughout the book of Acts. He is well-versed. He is well-traveled. He is experienced in writing these things down as well. And so we see that Peter experiences the blessings of ministering with Silvanus, much like Paul did as he was going throughout his missionary journeys. And so Silvanus provides an opportunity for Peter to dictate this to him and for Silvanus to be the actual person who is writing it down. Verse 12, it says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. But the first part of that says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. That was the method through which he's written. And so it's similar to him saying, hey, this is what I would like for you to write. I have two little girls right now. One of them can speak. And so Rory, as she is writing cards to people, sometimes she will ask for me to write things down for her in the card that she can give to someone else. Or other times she will sit there and ask me, hey, can you help me spell these words? How do I say this? How do I write this? And she goes back down and she works through that. And so Sylvanus acts in the same way that I'm acting towards my daughter, being the person who is able to pin and to write down these phrases for them that is compiled into what we have here in this book. So he is an important aspect of Peter's ability to communicate what God has placed in his heart for his people. And so we see that he is a tool used by God for this and an important aspect of us being able to understand the way in which God is using the community of believers collectively to push forward what he is trying to teach his people. He works through the limitations of Peter and the gifts and the talents of Silvanus to do that in this passage. The next part, though, verse 13, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. This is a very puzzling phrase for many people. When we look into the situation regarding Babylon and the believers, we see that it is used in relation to Rome, much as Babylon was the place of the exile for the Israelites, the believers of God, at the close of the Old Testament. It's an opportunity to be used as an image here in the New Testament time to refer to Rome and the situations that are taking place there. I have a friend who's a missionary in a southeastern Asian country, and he kind of has to speak in code with some of the different things that he writes. He does that so that he doesn't offend the government or the people in his area if they were to intercept any of his transmissions. And so the careful way of doing that is to establish this code type of language that helps him to be able to speak to others about how they can be specifically praying for his needs without putting himself in greater danger. And so we have a 
situation like that here in verse 13 as he's speaking about the believers who are in Rome. And so he writes about them cryptically so that they're not in danger and so that it's not something that would establish any other further punishments to those individuals had there been something that they rejected written in this letter. And so that's kind of something that helps us to fill out what Peter is doing, how he's writing here, how they were speaking to one another and relating with one another, especially concerning the suffering that is probably at the hands of the Roman government in many of these situations. And so as that's a sensitive aspect of this letter, it's important that they don't draw attention to further punishing these individuals, much like what took place in the book of Exodus as they said, hey, how could you give us some more straw for what we're trying to do here? And that led to them getting more and more punishment brought upon them. So they use this cryptic way of writing to do that. And an informed reader or hearer is able to understand what is being said by having that knowledge that helps to open up a totality of what the passage is teaching. And so as you look through this passage, as you try to interact with the different things that are coming up, though it's short, there are many riches present in it. I pray that you would dive into those, that you would answer any questions that you find as you seek to grow in your understanding of what God's word can communicates to you. Know today you were loved. You're-